between Norway and the North Pole. There's a gathering of small islands called Svalbard, and there are roughly 300 resident polar bears that live in the region. One of the residents, a man who slept in a cabin near the shore, woke up to the sound of a polar bear smashing through his front door. Some can even weigh up to 1,700 pounds. 54-year-old Wesley Perkins was out bear hunting deep in Kigluayak Mountains in Alaska. Supposedly, it only took the bear nine paces to travel from the cave 70 feet away. The North American mountain lion usually weighs between 110 and 220 pounds. And about a quarter mile in, he heard pine needles rustling somewhere behind him. When he swung his head around, he saw a juvenile mountain lion heading straight toward him at top speed. Her nickname came from the ancient Nepalese term meaning destroyer of man. The tigers compete with human territory. And the more they compete, the deadlier they get. Light out. Everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out podcast. I'm your host, Josh. Joined in the studio is my co-host, Austin. What's what up, buddy? What's up? How you doing? I'm doing all right, man. I'm doing all right. You know, Annabelle's been just mean mugging me since I came in today. Honestly. She's really unhappy for some reason. It could be the uh, the relic, the holy relics I've got in here now to kind of keep, keep the peace. Uh, but behind the scenes, we got Daniel over here running our cameras for us and all of our amazing editing, which, by the way, shout out to Daniel for the amazing edits on Lights Out. I know many of you have just been like blown away at the level of production that we're doing here. So good. That's thanks to Daniel. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. But today we have a very, very crazy episode for you. We're going to be covering some real life monsters. And they are. Lions, tigers, and bears, which I wanted to start off by saying, isn't it kind of weird how there's this thing in society about bears and it's always like, oh, teddy bears are cute and fuzzy and Paddington. Yeah. Paddington bear and Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) it's like we're, we're kind of programmed to think bears are this cute, cuddly creature Mm -hmm. in reality. That's the last thing you want to run into out there in the wilderness. As you guys know, we live in Colorado and in Colorado, it's definitely bear country when you head up into the foothills and into the mountains and there's signs everywhere, but luckily the most common type of bear you'd run into is a black bear. Yeah. We had black bears back in Michigan too. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty common, I think throughout like the Rocky mountain region and there, I don't know for sure if there's brown bears or not. I believe there are out there, but I don't think there's that many. Yeah. I know we here in colorado we shot and killed the last grizzly back in like the 70s or yeah something. i was gonna say so i don't think no they've been here for a while yeah. yeah which as you'll find out today you don't want to have an encounter with a, a grizzly bear i mean you really don't want to encounter any bear right true because they're not cute they're not cuddly they don't want to you know take a picture with you they want to potentially maul you to death and it's interesting because actually i have a family friend growing up uh, it was like one of my mom's best friends they live up in the mountains just outside of Boulder, Colorado, and she was out walking her dog one day and literally got attacked by a black bear. Just out of nowhere? Yeah, so it was a, a mom with her cubs, which oftentimes it's a it's a, a mama bear that's just protecting her cubs. Yeah. And this bear straight up chased her down. Wow. And it wasn't even that big of a bear, but she, this this black bear ended up swiping her from behind 
with her paw and completely like clawed her in the butt. Wow. And left like a big nasty scar on there and everything. Damn. But luckily she was able to, her dog basically like ran the bear off. Um, they had like a big golden retriever, I think. Nice. And ended up scaring the bear back with her cubs and ran up a tree, but. Usually black bears are pretty docile, but that makes sense if they're with their cubs. That's usually yeah. I think most. I think that was that was what it was. Is just maybe felt threatened by the dog or something. Yeah, but yeah, I mean it's it's not totally uncommon to be attacked by a bear. So if you see a bear, don't run. Yeah, <laughs> we we have some tips and tricks for how to survive these wild animal encounters. But today we're going to be covering a polar bear attack, a mountain lion attack. We've got a grizzly bear attack, and then we have a serial killing tiger in india yeah pretty wild stuff but this episode of the podcast is brought to you by warby parker which you'll hear more about that from austin today which will be be fun to see but also another great way to support the show it's super easy it's free make sure to subscribe to us on youtube we do live premieres every friday at 12 30 mountain standard time come join us for the fun chat that we have while the episode premieres also, make sure you're following us on Spotify. We really appreciate it. And leave us ratings and reviews if you got time. But let's go ahead and just dive into our first absolutely terrifying story for today. This is about the polar bear that killed Horatio Chapel. The first wild animal attack we're talking about today involves one of the largest land mammals on the planet, the polar bear. In 2021, there were only five deaths by wild bears in North America. And you're more likely to die from a school bus than a bear attack, which I guess is good news. But little things like too much hair gel, a forgotten piece of jerky, or just flat out bad luck can make you the next victim. Even though most bears mind their own business, some can get desperate and pretty violent if you cross through their territory. Between Norway and the North Pole, there's a gathering of small islands called Svalbard. Most of the islands are just ice and barren rock, and a little over 2,600 people inhabit the islands in small towns, and there are roughly 300 resident polar bears that live in the region. Over the past few years, the territories of bears and humans have overlapped, and the encounters with these huge creatures have turned violent. So polar bears can weigh around 800 to 1,300 pounds. They can measure nine feet long. Some can even weigh up to 1,700 pounds, depending on their diet. If they're eating good, they can get huge. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. They thrive in the planet's coldest environments, and they spend about 50% of their time hunting, and their diet mainly consists of seals. They can run up to 25 miles an hour, which is terrifying. Their mouths are packed with 42 sharp teeth and their paws are 12 inches wide. Literally a foot wide. that crazy? That's crazy. Polar bears travel huge, huge distances and they swim. They swim. Their paws got webs in between their, uh, their toes. They oh, like, are like paddles in the water. So what they do is they, they paddle with their front paws and then their back paws are like little rudders. Nice. And they use them to like glide. They're actually really good swimmers because awesome. they swim between different, you know, pieces of ice and yeah. things like that to catch and go after seals and things like that. Cool. In Svalbard, encounters with polar bears are often deadly, but mostly for the bears. About every year, bears are shot on the outskirts of each small town. 
and over the recent decades, several people have also lost their lives. What's interesting is that in Svalbard, because their polar bears just wandering around, I mean, you can go on, I was just on TikTok last night watching some videos of people who live in Svalbard, and they'll just be like looking out their window, and there's just a polar bear just like looking at them through the glass, yep. and they just wander through the towns and stuff like that. But there's like a rule up there, apparently, that everybody leaves their doors unlocked. Really? Yeah. Why? Polar bear attacks. So oh, it's just so you can Yeah, so it? if you're walking through town, every door needs to be unlocked oh. in case a polar bear, because that's the thing, is they don't want to shoot the polar bears. That's like absolutely last resort. In fact, it's illegal to do so, unless you're, you know, they're literally charging you or something. Yeah. But yeah, they leave the doors unlocked so that you have an easy escape route, no matter where Smart. you are. Now you're not like, ah, oh, let me in. Let yeah, me in. Right, yeah. So it's you really can just smart. go into any, it's kind of a rule up there, which is interesting. In 2000, the governor of Svalbard issued a warning after several polar bears had been spotted near populated areas. One of the residents, a man who slept in a cabin near the shore, woke up to the sound of a polar bear smashing through his front door. The hulking creature grabbed the man's sleeping bag, but luckily he was able to grab his wood axe and wounded the bear until it fled. Ever since, more locals have noticed bears wandering through the streets and approaching their houses. And they wanted to know why there are more bear sightings than usual. So the main problem is that the Arctic ice has been melting, which we, you know, all it's know well yeah. right now. Polar bears generally stay in the same region their entire lives, which actually I didn't know. I thought they were very mobile, but they generally are born, grow up, mate, die within the same region. They're very and, solitary creatures too. Yeah, yeah. You only really see them together if it's the mother raising the cubs, but... Then if it's a male, the males are just roaming by themselves. Yep. It's a pretty lonely life as a polar bear. Yeah. They often rely on the sea ice for traveling, hunting, resting, mating, and in some areas they have their maternal dens out there. They can usually find their way around by their strong sense of smell, and somehow they're also able to sense when large sheets of ice are drifting. Most of the time they won't get disoriented, which is crazy to think about that you're on this massive platform and they still know how to navigate where they're going to, which is wild. Some believe they have a connection in their brain or something to the magnetic pole. So they have some sort of internal magnet Compass almost, yeah, yeah. that's like telling them they where know which direction is. they're going, yeah, which is crazy. Unfortunately, since climate change is drastically changing sea ice and melting much faster than usual, it's not as easy for polar bears to find their bearings, pun intended. Mm. Plus, the dwindling sea ice means fewer seals are available offshore. And seals are polar bears' number one source of food, so that means many of the bears had to start looking inland because their natural habitats are disappearing. Yeah, so they're going to switch from seals to humans pretty yeah. soon. Locals have watched as polar bears casually walk into their neighborhoods and rummage through their garbage cans. Visitors are warned that if you travel into bear country, they must carry a loaded rifle, and they must have someone in their group that knows how to use it. Despite the warnings in 2011, an expedition organized by the British School Exploring Society ended in tragedy. A group of 80 teenagers and their adult guides arrived in Svalbard on July 23rd of that year. Among them was 17-year-old Horatio Chapel. He was a student at Eton College and had dreams of becoming a doctor. His expedition had planned on spending a month in the region, and everything went as planned until about halfway through the trip. Horatio decided to join in on a hike to the Von Post Glacier, a 62-square-mile region of shifting ice. 
He traveled with a 13-person group, 11 teenagers, and two adult instructors. Soon into their hike, they found a huge set of bear footprints. One of the hikers, Lauren Beach, said it made the group feel fascinated instead of scared. Which if I'm hiking into bear territory, I don't know if I'm feeling fascinated or if I'm just going to be shit in my pants pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, I'm on edge, yeah. And, and that's the thing is I, I feel like a lot of people don't understand how dangerous polar bears are. Right. Like, you know, the Coca-Cola commercials that really brainwashed us yeah, that's kids. another one yeah wow we've listed off like four polar bears like yeah. things in media that make polar bears or any bears seem like tame friendly. or something like yeah. they're not gonna absolutely destroy you right. well then there's like even Smokey the bear the national park service uses right. a bear he's saving us from fires out here yeah. yeah a cute little bear with this cute little hat yeah they're not cute <laughs> they're scary and at first they really didn't think too much of finding these footprints so they ended up setting up camp not far from the glacier at Chanzen Fire. This area was known for its frequent polar bear sightings, but the expedition thought, you know what, we're prepared if one comes our way. After the sun went down, they all went to sleep in their tents. Which interesting thing about being this far north is that during the summer, it's called what, Daniel? It's actually called the land of the midnight sun. Uh, it's because it's so far north that for the half a year during summer, the sun never technically sets. And then the other half of the year during the winter, the sun never technically rises. So it's dark and light for about half the year. Another fun fact about this area is that during July, it's the warmest part of the year. The average temperature is anywhere between 37 degrees and 44 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, nice. Shorts and flip-flop yeah. weather for sure. <laughs> And that's as warm as it gets up there, you said. Yes, that's, that's, that's the top temp. Yeah, yeah so about 44 degrees is about as hot as it's going to get up there. So, wow. you know, toasty. Oh, yeah. So I guess that's the one good thing about this particular story is that at least it was light out. Yeah. Because half the year it's completely dark. I was, you know, I was watching those videos the other day and there's people that like have to go out, you know, it might be like five and, you know, four or five in the afternoon and they're out walking their dog when it's pitch dark out. And when it's snowing and windy, like you can't see in front of your face. And so you can't see the polar bears. I mean, they're white, so they're already hard to spot right. during the daytime. But at night, you don't even know if they're there or not. Which is, you might just wander right into one. And we think we have like seasonal affective disorder here. Imagine where it's like in the winter, it's just pitch black it's and snowing all to the live. time. Yeah. I can't even imagine. That'd be so hard. But in the early morning hours of August 5th, a large, starving male polar bear lurked near the edge of camp. It was a 24-year-old male, which by reference, polar bears usually live about 25 to 30 years, so this was a senior polar bear. He also had chronic pain from bad teeth, so his hunger, old age, and constant pain made him unpredictable, and he was about to release his fury on this camp. The bear slowly approached and entered the camp area around 7.30 a.m. Horatio heard its slow footsteps and heavy breathing noises the closer it got. It had avoided the traps set around the camp. A barricade of trip wires were set up around the camp and they were supposed to set off alarms and light flares in order to scare off the bear. But it was later discovered that the system was defective. And a few teenagers from the party had tried to get it working with paper clips the night before, 
plus one of the supporting posts had fallen down, or it was knocked down by the bear. From the noise of the bear approaching, Horatio decided to get out of his tent to take a look. He was dressed only in his boxer shorts. And as he was in the middle of standing up, the polar bear reared up and slammed down on top of him with its front two paws. Once he was pinned to the ground, the bear began mauling his head, face, and neck until Horatio quickly died from the absolutely brutal physical trauma. He didn't even have time to scream. The only noise in camp was the bear's heavy breathing and the violent maul attacks. Meanwhile, Horatio's tentmates, 16-year-old Scott Bennell Smith and 17-year-old Patrick Flinders, had woken up to their tents shaking from the attack that was happening outside, but they could barely see what was going on. At first, Scott thought it was someone trying to wake him up, but after a few moments of silence, the bear then ripped through the side of the tent. In a flurry, its claws tried to maul anything within its reach, and one of the bear's swings connected to Scott's head and back. Beside him, Patrick saw the bear snapping its jaws and red blood covered its snout. He curled up into a ball inside a sleeping bag trying to protect himself. But the bear mauled him through the sleeping bag. And that's when he felt the bear's teeth clamping down on his elbow. It let go for a moment, but then he could feel the bear's teeth wrap around his head. Patrick literally could hear the loud crack of his skull being crushed as the bear's jaw clenched. Its teeth pierced his cheek and nose while also breaking the front of his skull. After the crunching noise, the bear let go of his head and let out a loud roar. Patrick said the volume was deafening since his ears were right by the bear's mouth. Patrick was left with fragments of the bear's teeth in his skull, and he ended up needing 20 stitches to heal his wounds. He even tried to punch the bear in the nose and it eventually backed out of the tent to chase down another group member. Patrick hid back in his sleeping bag, but peeked out and watched as the polar bear began dragging Horatio by the head. By now, other campers woke up and began running out of their tents. Others barricaded themselves inside. One of the adult leaders, 29-year-old Michael Reed, heard the commotion. So he grabbed the camp's old bolt-action rifle from his tent and scrambled outside. Not far from him, he saw the bear near one of the young campers, so he cocked the rifle and aimed at the bear's chest. He was afraid of hitting one of the young campers, so he carefully aimed his shot. But when he pulled the trigger, the gun didn't fire. He tried four more times to fire the gun, but nothing happened. Michael later claimed the weapon malfunctioned, and the bullets ejected from the rifle and fell to the ground. When the polar bear finally noticed Michael trying to shoot the weapon from across camp, it charged him. Michael yelled out for someone to fire off a pen flare to try and scare off the bear. But in one quick lunge, the bear knocked Michael to the ground and clenched his head between its jaws. Michael managed to break free for a moment and then tried to gouge the bear's eyes out with his hands but missed. One of the other adult leaders, 27-year-old Andrew Ruck, distracted the animal by screaming and throwing a rock at its head. The bear shifted its focus to Andrew and knocked him straight to the ground. Then it climbed on top of him with its paws, pinning Andrew's shoulders to the ground. Andrew looked up and saw the bear's face staring down at him. It clawed his face and then began snapping its jaws. At that moment, Andrew thought the bear was about to take a bite out of his head, but then a shot rang out. While the bear was distracted by Andrew, Michael had picked up an unspent round, loaded it into that old bolt-action rifle, and shot the bear in the chest, and then fell to the ground dead. In the aftermath of the attack, 
17-year-old Horatio was the only one that lost his life, but four others were injured. The bear carcass was eventually hauled off and the expedition immediately disbanded. After the attack, a week-long investigation took place, and the British School Exploring Society was criticized for its lack of preparedness. The tripwire system they had used was faulty and had missing pieces. Even the chief leader of the expedition, Richard Payne, admitted there was a shortage of parts for the tripwire system and it had been compromised. Plus, the camp's rifle either malfunctioned or Michael didn't know how to use it properly. Some suggested that Michael hadn't switched the safety off at first, which is why the gun wouldn't fire. The chief leader of the expedition also admitted that there should have been two firearms at the camp. There was also no bear watch or overnight guard dogs organized. Some claimed the weather was too foggy for night watch. But if they had scoped out the area, they would have known that pack ice was drifting close to the shore, which increased the chances of a polar bear being nearby. And the campers even saw a large bear print in the area the day they set up camp. But Norwegian officials stressed that the British School Exploring Society did not act negligently under criminal law. And they ruled Horatio's death was a result of a number of unfortunate circumstances. His parents lodged an appeal, but prosecutors agreed that there would be no criminal charges against the organization. His parents had been promised that a long list of safety measures was in place before their son went on the trip. Before he left, his parents thoroughly reviewed the expedition's risk assessment. His mother, Olivia, later said, The trip was an expensive trip. I believe that they would have proper equipment. I was naive. Seems like there was many failures in that expedition and no one really wanted to take responsibility for it. Yeah, it's strange that nobody was like standing guard. Like that just seems like a no-brainer to right. have somebody like looking out over the camp while everybody's sleeping. Especially if they knew that the tripwire system was malfunctioning. Yeah, like why would you just all go to bed with a malfunctioning tripwire system? Yeah. And then especially since you saw a bare footprint, full well knowing that there's likely a polar bear nearby. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like some seriously unfortunate mistakes were made. And it said that his mother, Olivia, was saying that she was like, I was naive to think that it was safe for my son to go on this, but I don't think it was naive, really. I think it was more naive for them to go out there, set up camp, not really give a shit, not know to how to fire a rifle. Oh, we're going to try and fix this tripwire system with paper clips. So I think it was more naive on the adult leaders than it was yeah. the mother. Yeah. But if you do ever come across a polar bear, I mean, hopefully you are at a very far distance. I know there are plenty of places where they're like viewing uh, platforms or, or safe, like guarded areas that you can view polar bears from. But if you ever are out in the wild and you do come across a polar bear, uh, I mean, there are ways to survive. There's a few things that you can do. And, uh, a lot of it's luck, but if you ever come face to face with one, here's what you're supposed to do. One is, you know, carry your bear mace, use your bear mace, and always remember, don't be downwind when you're using bear mace because yeah. you will end up a, a quicker victim than you would be otherwise. That's uh, the like one hard thing with bear mace though, is like if there's any wind at all, it's yeah. just going to blow right back in your face. Yeah, that's why they say like kind of strategically get the bear downwind if you can and then use it. Because a lot of bear maces, you can get those huge ones that have quite a distance. But sometimes, yeah, you're they're just tough to use. Um, and that's why 
Number two, they say, is always carry a firearm, preferably high caliber, like a, a rifle, shotgun, something that can right. do some serious damage. Um, and make sure, I mean, obviously they did have a rifle here, but make sure that whoever you're with that has the gun, or if it's you, make sure that they or you know how to properly use the My firearm. God, you'd think that would be another no-brainer, right? Yeah. Like, man, if I knew I was an adult leader washing over some kids and there were potentially bears around i would absolutely want to know how to use that that rifle my guess is that in the heat of the moment he just like yeah true panicked and probably yeah. had the safety on which i don't know if i'd leave the safety on when i go to sleep i'd have that thing locked and ready to go all right. i gotta do is pull the trigger i don't know if i'd even give myself another step yeah and i always appreciate gun safety i mean he didn't have it loaded and he had safety on but yeah it's moments like that where it's like you you have to know in those quick moments how and you have maybe it. a half a second to react and yeah. if you're not ready to go you're dead yeah and i think they got lucky that they only had one victim here fatality because i mean man lucky enough they were working together you know they were th throwing rocks and stuff so teamwork def definitely came into play to save them but fuse the bear a little bit but i mean yeah horatio had literally no time to even react or defend yeah. himself whatsoever i mean he was literally like he popped up and boom the bears on top of him yep seemed like they should have had like a firearm per tent you know what seriously I mean? yeah that's why the chief was saying ideally you would have two at camp of that size and the whole point of the tripwire system was to set off flares because i guess the noise and light the, of the yeah. flares are meant to scare them off which is a, actually a pretty common thing to have in bear country which is interesting there's a lot of people that set up bear trip wires around yeah. their house and stuff because it's not even necessarily to prevent attack but just protect your house even right because sometimes bears will break into houses and or just like looking havoc, for food and stuff yeah like mess up your property so yeah. a lot of people set up um bear trip wires for yeah. black bears or you know brown bears things like that as well good idea and then uh, three, so this is worst case scenario. If you don't have bear spray, you don't have a gun, you don't have a tripwire system, and you are alone, they say, just get naked. Hear me out. You cannot outrun a polar bear, but you can distract them. And if you slowly do a little strip tease and start taking off your clothes and leaving it on the ground as you slowly back away, some bears, they know that they'll get attracted to the scent, which is probably why they were tracking you in the first place, was your scent. They might just stop, pick up the clothing, start smelling it, start playing with it a little bit, which would just give you enough time to keep stripping off the clothing, get away from it, get away from it. <laughs> Throw and, it to the side and, and hope <laughs> the bear goes for the clothing? Yeah, and if you can just get enough distance, uh, you might be able to survive. Obviously, that is worst case scenario. Danny's looking at me like, what? I don't think anybody's doing that, man. The last thing anybody's going to do is start like, let me pull my shirt off real quick and throw it over here. <laughs> well, if you do get away, you got to worry about, you know, freezing temperatures. Well, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. You're either up against the polar bear or up against freezing temperatures. That's fair. Um, well, these kind of these tips kind of apply to all bear attacks, I feel like. Because the other thing, too, is like play dead. Like curl I've, up into a ball. I've heard that. Cover yeah. your head and neck yep. and just start praying yeah like, that's all you can do they like say, okay. I, I can't remember there's a rule of thumb for that uh it's like depending on the type of bear um you do yeah you can play dead for i don't think you can play dead with polar bears no, i don't but, i think a polar bear is still fucked yeah, yeah yeah but, but other there types is of bears. yeah you can play dead uh, i know that 
so the saying is, uh, well, it's a rhyme. If it's brown, lay down. If it's black, fight back. If it's white, good night. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the saying. Yep. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Polar bears are just, you're done. It's, there's not really no hope. Yeah. Just, um, yeah. Start praying. Hope, hope a miracle happens. Yeah. Cause yeah, you're going to be leaving this earth pretty soon. Unfortunately. Yeah. But black bears. Yeah. Fight the black bear. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a tough battle right there. I would not fight a black bear if it had cubs nearby because that's when they get that brutal strength. But uh, yeah, I have it's, seen it's brown really, bears where you play dead. And yeah. Hope they just you bat you around. You and, can't fight a brown bear. There's no way. No. Unless you're Russian. Have you seen those clips of like <laughs> Russians wrestling brown bears? I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> Russians are a different breed. They are. <laughs> yeah. They're like polar bears. We're not scared of polar. Bears. We just we just go toe to toe. man. Yeah. You, have gloves enough, on. <laughs> uh, you get enough shots of vodka and you, you can fight anything, right? My God. Warby Parker offers everything you need for happier eyes. Eyeglasses, sunglasses, contact lenses, and eye exams. And you can shop with them online or in stores. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. Try Warby Parker's free home try-on program. So I tried five pairs at home and I eventually found these suckers. I think they look pretty sick. Kind of chronicles a Riddick E. Uh, but I ended up really liking them. And everyone says I look pretty fresh out here. I don't know if they're lying to me, but I think I look pretty fresh. They're really good quality. I like the I like the shine they have to them. They feel good. They got a nice weight to them. Not too heavy though. And uh, that home try-on program was awesome. I I really got to try it all. Make sure I found the right size. Make sure I found the right frames. I had Daniel take a look at me. He said I was looking pretty fresh and I eventually landed on these and I was super happy about it. I feel like my peepers are looking pretty good and yours can look good too. They also have really cool blue light glasses. I look at screens all day. If you do too, you know, blue light glasses are really good for keeping your eyes healthy, keeping those peepers healthy. So you should try those out. I think I'm going to get myself a pair from Warby Parker. They also have physical locations. You can go and actually get your eye exams done now. Try five pairs of glasses at home for free. That try-on program is awesome. And go to warbyparker.com slash lights out. And remember, try five pairs of glasses at home for free at warbyparker.com slash lights out. Yeah, polar bears are very scary. Yeah. But this next story is probably one of the most gruesome bear attacks ever witnessed. And against all odds, the victim survived, but not without his fair share of permanent scars and years of recovery. 54-year-old Wesley Perkins was out bear hunting deep in Kigluayak Mountains in Alaska on May 15, 2011. Wes, his friend Dan Stang, and Dan's son Ed saw some bears earlier in the day. It was overcast and snowing a little bit, spotted a bear off in the distance up a small hill where most of the snow had melted they took a longer route around the hill to see if they could find tracks in the snow and near the backside of the hill they spotted the tracks heading into the valley so they figured that the bear had wandered a few miles off by then so they drove into the valley along a stretch of countryside and they followed the bear tracks until they disappeared when they stopped dan and ed were not far behind wesley but none of them realized that the grizzly bear was hiding in a snow cave about 70 feet ahead. So much like polar bears, grizzly bears are massive creatures. They can weigh up to 800 pounds, but which is still like funny because that's like almost half of what a 
polar yeah. bears. Yeah. yeah. But still big, 800 pounds, and they grow to almost 10 feet tall. They're a subspecies of brown bears, which have held the title of deadliest wild animal in North America since the 1970s. It's extremely rare to be attacked by one. So, for example, there are about 700 grizzlies in Yellowstone, and they say the odds of actually being attacked by one is 1 to 2.7 million. So That's pretty good chances. Yeah, so that's small. 50% of grizzly attacks are just females protecting their cubs, which we were talking about. But they are apex predators, meaning they're at the top of the food chain and have no natural predators. Despite their size, they're quick and violent, and they can run up to 35 miles an hour Jeez. and maul their prey. They have five by seven inch paws, and I think their claws are a little bit bigger than polar bears. They're four inch claws, so that's where they're super dangerous. They can also lift objects that weigh a thousand pounds. Supposedly, their jaws are so strong that they can crush a bowling ball oh in my. one bite. Oh my god! Woo. So your skull doesn't stand a chance. Gone. And they only attack for three reasons: one is fear, their fear, obviously; two, food; and three, protection, especially when they have cubs. In the case of Wesley Perkins, it's believed that the bear must have felt threatened since they were tracking it and near its cave. Interesting. So felt threatened. Um, just to get an idea of how strong these grizzlies are, though, we do have a video of two grizzlies fighting. Got to figure it out. Is yeah. It It's like heavyweight boxers. They get tired really uh, yeah. quick after their burst <laughs> Short bursts of immense energy. Yeah. But you, it's crazy because you can see their muscles. Like Even though their fur is pretty sick, you can actually see the, the muscle definition. Muscles, yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Absolute monsters. Yeah. The, the, I think that reminds me. There's a there's an account I follow on Instagram. It's like Alaskan Bear Adventures or something. And it's like a tourist thing where they actually like take you out to watch the bears like this like up close and personal and it blew my mind i was like wow people actually sign up for this and like they do it all the time so they know like they stay like pretty far back from them okay that's but good. i mean i'm like they're close enough that you can take really nice video and pictures i'm like what if those things just like decide to charge you like, yeah what? and obviously like they've got a gun and stuff they're right, ready to go but still i'm like i don't know would you go on like a bear I don't know, man. Expedition. I, and I feel like even when you think like, hey, we're prepared. We're with a rifle. I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know if he's a good shot. Right. I don't like, come yeah. on. I'd rather trust myself with the rifle than just some guy who goes on True. the expedition. True. I don't know. I'm fine with just wildlife existing in their area and me not encroaching. Yeah. I'll just stick into the, the planet earth videos and let, yeah, let yeah. Nat Geo go take care of that. Yeah. Oh, in the safety of her living rooms. Right. Or like from a helicopter or something. Yeah. You know, fly yeah. over them. So Dan looked back the way they came for a split second. When he turned back around, 
an eight-foot-tall, 13-year-old grizzly bear was charging at Wesley. When he heard the animal approaching, Wesley had been trying to get his camera into a dash bag. He tried to aim his gun, but the bear was too quick. Supposedly, it only took the bear nine paces to travel from the cave 70 feet away. Wesley could only get his gun halfway off his back before the bear lunged. And the first thing Wesley felt was the bear's teeth clenching down on his face from one ear to the other. Soon after, everything went dark. As Dan watched the bear begin pummeling Wesley on the ground, he immediately reached for his gun. But he was worried about hitting Wesley, so he kept his aim high while he began firing off rounds. Within seconds, the bear clawed Wesley's face to shreds, and throughout the entire attack, Wesley never lost consciousness. Oh my god. I, I mean, I'm sure just like your adrenaline's like through the roof, you're probably not feeling anything at right. that point. That, that's just crazy that that bear's attacking him, but it's hitting nothing critical. Right. You would think that it would like instantly kill you. Right. But in most cases, it doesn't. At one point, Wesley reached up to his face and felt the mangled skin, blood, and mud. And he desperately tried to keep his airways open. His teeth, tongue, and jaw were all torn out by the raging grizzly bear. And while the blows kept coming, Wesley focused all of his energy on getting oxygen. He was actually a trained paramedic, so he knew if he fell unconscious, he would most likely die. So he began pulling out bone fragments, teeth, and debris from his throat until he could finally get a gasp of air. Meanwhile, he could hear Dan and Ed firing off rounds. Side by side, they shot their rifles, but the grizzly seemed unfazed at first. Then it began charging straight toward Dan. Luckily, they had filled the bear with enough bullets that it began to flee halfway through its charge. The bear's running soon slowed down until it could barely walk. The beast then turned to face Dan, acting like it would charge one last time. But then the grizzly fell over on its side and bled to death. Once it was safe, Dan approached Wesley on the ground where he was lying on his side. Wesley was frantically digging mud, leaves, and skin out of his air passages. And that's when Dan saw the horror of what had happened to his friend. As Wesley rolled over, pieces of his face slid off. Dan could only see Wesley's right eye peering out from the red carnage. But Dan was shocked to see how little blood there was. It was mostly just raw flesh and muscle down to the skull. So he believed Wesley could survive even though they were in the middle of nowhere. He turned him back over and pressed Wesley's face into the snow, and he told him to keep as still as possible, and the snow would numb the exposed injuries. As the minutes passed, Wesley started getting cold and he risked getting hypothermia, but he stayed there while Dan and his son administered first aid the best they could. Dan also ran over to his ham radio in the truck, and he desperately called out to anyone that could hear him. He radioed to Nome, a tiny community nearby, but it was far from anywhere else at the tip of the Seward Peninsula. Wesley and his crew were actually closer to Russia than Anchorage. Luckily, Wesley's own brother, Nate, received the call on the ham radio. He had just got in his truck when he heard Dan's voice come through the speaker. Dan then told them their exact coordinates. Instead of contacting Alaska State Troopers, Nate organized his own rescue team with a helicopter, a doctor, and a PA. Dan then gave him coordinates to the closest clearing where a helicopter could land. About an hour passed, Wesley was still lying down with his wounds in the snow while also trying to keep his airways open. He then heard the helicopter approaching through the trees. Once the rescue team arrived, Wesley was able to walk to the helicopter with their help. And luckily, he was stabilized and could squeeze Dan's hand when he asked him questions. He squeezed his left hand for no and the right hand for yes. He made sure to lie in a position that wouldn't block his airways because he noticed if he lied in a certain way, he couldn't breathe at all. So they placed his head in the doctor's lap. 
and the rest of him was laid out on the helicopter floor. They gave him a heavy dose of morphine, which was all they had in the travel bag, and they got him to Norton Sound Hospital in 30 minutes. He was later transported to Harborview Medical Center ICU in a Seattle hospital where a surgical team was able to reconstruct most of Wesley's face. His operations lasted three months, including 26 surgeries and more than $1 million in medical expenses. We can't even show you the picture of his face because it's just that gnarly. We'll put a we'll put a link though if you want to go take a look at it because it is it is just like it's gone. His face is gone. literally gone. You can see his eye. Yeah, his one right eye. There's actually I think there's a video clip of him talking too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just wild because there's he's talking but there's nothing there. Yeah, his tongue is just like gone, just like this mass on his face. There it is. It's honestly super impressive what. The surgeons were able to do that they were actually able to piece together his face yeah they used a uh, part of his fibula his calf bone to, to create a new jawbone because his, his bottom jawbone is just completely gone um, they had to use a breathing tube for a long time before he could breathe on his own again his left eye could only sense light and dark and it weeps constantly it took him almost four months to learn how to walk again Worst of all, for him, it became difficult to speak, which he admitted that he loved to do. And now with half his tongue gone, it was almost impossible. It's really hard for people to understand him. But supposedly he he gets better with what he has left, and it's, his speech has gotten better over time. And he says that he speaks in his own language, and most people that know him can pretty much understand him, which is cool, I think. But also his epiglottis was damaged, which is the small cartilage lid that covers the windpipe for a long time he could only blended foods and it was through a tube and doctors told him that he would never eat by mouth again but i don't know he's a very persistent man so he was proud he's like i can now swallow vitamins and he's wow. he can hold things down now um and so he's he's slowly recovered his abilities since the attack and it's actually incredible just how much yeah. he's recovered i mean based based on looking at the the initial wounds it doesn't look like you would survive be able to survive that no and that's why when his friend was pulled him over looked at his face he's like i'm surprised that there was no blood the bear must have just missed a bunch of i guess i mean i don't i know there's arteries in in the face and stuff like that but there i don't know that there's like a major artery in the face right um you know obviously he's lucky he didn't get to the, the, the throat. throat like yeah. the bear is so close to the throat area i mean had the bear gotten the throat, it would have been would game have over. Yeah. But I mean, obviously his friends saved his life. Like yeah. they reacted. I mean, if I witnessed that, I think I would just be in absolute shock. I'd probably be puking. Right. Yeah. Like even trying to look at him. So the fact that they were like jumped into, I mean, they, they killed the bear. Yeah. Which is badass. And then they managed to they're smart to put his face into the snow to help kind of like numb everything up. They were clearly like prepared. They're like, yeah. you know, we're going hunting for these massive beasts. So in the worst case scenario that something happens, the fact that they had the ham radio, super smart, been able to call out the coordinates for the helicopter. They had the doctor kind of on standby and stuff like all those moves definitely saved his life. Absolutely. Had and it been anything else. How the brother on the other end of the ham radio knew he's like, I'm not even going to go for the Alaska, Alaska State Troopers. Yeah. yeah he's surprised. like, I'm just going straight to my own private team to get them out there. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Also, if you ever just look on a map for the Kigluayak Mountains, it's it's so deep in the middle of nowhere. 
And that's why they were saying, yeah, Nome is the closest town, but it's a tiny little town. And like they were saying, you're closer to Russia than you are Anchorage. There's no major cities really nearby. Yeah, it's truly a miracle that he survived. And today, Wesley reaches out to the families of bear attack victims, hoping he can help them with their grief. He's also been an active volunteer, serving as a fire chief and an EMT for his community of Nome, Alaska. Ever since the day that that grizzly attacked Wes, many now think of him as the luckiest unlucky man alive. And as for the bear that mutilated him, he's been skinned and his pelt currently hangs on one of Wesley's walls. Wesley, surprisingly, after all this, continues to hunt bears to this day. I mean, after that, I feel like you kind of have like, I'm invincible, man. Like, yeah. Or I don't know, maybe or you learn your mean, lesson and not go back out there. You would think, but you know, some people are just, you know, passionate about what they do and apparently likes hunting bears. So, yeah. And he's got that bear on his wall. That's kind of, kind of wild, man. But he wants everyone to remember that wild animals are not your friend. They're not good or bad. They're just simply wild animals. It's good advice. But the next attack on our list involves a beast with many names. It's called the cougar, puma, panther, or mountain lion. The North American mountain lion usually weighs between 110 and 220 pounds. And they have top speeds of 50 miles an hour. So way No faster. outrunning a mountain lion. Yeah, not at all. They have powerful hind legs that can jump 40 feet horizontally. So when they pounce on their prey... 40 feet across and they're known for stalking their prey at night before delivering one lethal bite to the spinal cord that's usually how they kill typically they prey on deer or small critters but if they're desperate enough they might not pass up the chance to kill a hiker across in their territory here's a video of a mountain lion taking down its prey and you'll kind of get a good idea of how they operate when they're killing their prey Folks, this lion has got a hold of this buck. This is this buck probably weighs 265 pounds. That lion probably weighs 150 pounds. You notice he's got him right by the neck. Typically, lions will try to break a mule deer's neck. But this buck is in the rut and he just has too much of a big neck there and he just can't get the job done. But he gets him down. Once that buck gets down like this, cougar can choke him. And that's what he's trying to do right here is actually choke that mule deer, cut off his air, and suffocate him. Now watch how this mule deer fights back, kicking him. Does everything he can possibly do to try to get that cougar away from his neck right here. Look at him kick at him. He's kicking at his head. I mean, you'd think at least one of those strikes would, would knock that cougar off or knock him out, but it doesn't even phase the cougar. He just bites harder. This is, I've never seen this before, folks. This is unbelievable footage. I always wondered how a cougar killed a mule deer. This is how they do it. 
So yeah, you get a good idea that thing is relentless. Once it gets a bite on you, it is not letting go. It's it's wild to to know that they like choke out their victims. Like right. it's actually pretty smart because it's I mean it's going after things that are even bigger than itself. Like, yeah, even double the size of it. But they're just so agile and strong, and you know they've got those massive paws and claws on them. And, yep. I mean strong grip for sure. So Travis Kaufman came out west for the great outdoor recreation. He had fallen in love with mountain biking, skiing, and recently trail running. He got into the habit of running about five miles every day after work. On Monday, February 4th, 2019, Travis planned on running a 12 to 15 mile trail in Lori State Park in Colorado. From the Arthur's Rock parking lot, he ran the South Valley trails until linking up with Horsetooth Mountain Park. He had mountain biked these trails before, so he knew the trails were difficult and steep, but he was ready for the challenge. As he started up the hillside, he made it up to the top of the tower's hiking trail. From there, he took the West Ridge Trail. He noticed the trail was icy and he began slipping, so he turned back and took a different route. Travis was all alone on the new trail, and about a quarter mile in, he heard pine needles rustling somewhere behind him. Most times, Travis didn't bother to even look, as it was usually just a harmless rabbit or a deer scampering through the brush. But this time, he sensed something else was behind him. When he swung his head around, he saw a juvenile mountain lion heading straight toward him at top speed. It was only about 10 feet away, and Travis immediately felt his heart sink into his stomach. The mountain lion slowed down a bit when Travis noticed it, but it had no plans of stopping. The mountain lion lunged straight at him. Travis was 5'10 and 155 pounds at the time, and the mountain lion was over half its size. He threw his arms up in defense, and the animal's jaws clamped down on his wrist. As he fell to the ground, he tried his best to protect his face. But the mountain lion used its retractable claws and began frantically clawing Travis's face and legs. Travis began screaming as loud as he could with what he called his barbarian yell. He thought the noise could scare or disorient the animal if he screamed enough, or hopefully someone nearby would hear him. But as time passed, he realized no one else was nearby. It was just him and the mountain lion. He tried to grab the animal and throw it off of him, but the animal's jaws still clung onto his wrist, and they both tumbled off the hiking trail. Once they were in the ditch, Travis called it a wrestling match. The cougar thrashed its claws at his face and legs while its fangs were still embedded in his wrist. From being a new cat owner, Travis remembered that when his cats were put on their backs, their hind legs would go crazy. Travis called it the rabbit thrash. So Travis pinned the animal's hind legs with his left leg. He made sure the hind claws couldn't tear open his stomach or groin. With his left arm, he defended himself while he grabbed some sticks with his right hand and tried to stab the mountain lion in the throat. Unfortunately, the sticks were rotten, so they broke on impact. Then Travis tried to bash the mountain lion's head with a nearby rock, but his positioning made it difficult. Then he shifted his body weight to put his right leg onto the mountain lion's neck. He eventually got his foot directly over the animal's throat while it thrashed around trying to get free. And once he shifted enough weight and put enough pressure on his right foot, he slowly suffocated the animal to death. He felt the energy drain out of the animal's body and its jaws finally let go of his wrist. Once he noticed the mountain lion was no longer moving, he immediately got out of the ditch and began running down the trail back toward the parking lot. But on the trail back, he couldn't help but notice the rock overhangs near the trail were perfect for another mountain lion to pounce from. And he became paranoid there might be another one tracking him. Mountain lions only need a 30-foot clearance to pounce on their victim, so Travis ran as fast as he could. 
While still high on adrenaline, he ran three miles before running into another trail runner who joined him. And luckily, they ran into a couple who later drove him to the hospital. So you can imagine just how crazy those must have been. After not only killing the animal, but your arms just like gushing blood, you got scratches all over you. And you got to run all the way back. Hopefully someone finds you, yeah. Oh, sounds like my worst nightmare. And he was planning what? It was a 12 to 15 mile so imagine I mean, luckily he so wasn't deep in there yeah deeper in where mm-hmm. he was it took him a lot longer to get back and get help right but when he got to the icu his face was covered in gashes and blood he ended up getting 17 stitches along his cheek another six on his nose and two on the side of his face he got three stitches on his wrist where the long fang held on to him during the fight several more puncture wounds from teeth and claws covered his legs chest and neck but luckily he recovered quickly I think the fact that he just knew that if he was clamped onto his left wrist and he couldn't he could, bite him somewhere and he got else. his legs down on the hind legs like you I wonder if he had any wrestling experience I think he did I'm pretty sure he did because he did like a leg move on the mountain lion yeah he was able to like choke it out basically yeah. Danny what move is that and some jiu jitsu comes in handy I guess <laughs> you know I don't really know when it comes to you know felines <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But hey, you've got a leg up if you ever get attacked by. I guess you have a leg up if you get attacked by anything. You know, oh, an yeah. animal, but I've hey. tried to pounce on him around the corner of the office, but yeah, he, he quickly every time gets his legs over your throat, chokes <laughs> yeah. you out. Yeah. But here's a clip of Travis giving some advice for anyone heading out into the wilderness. Yeah, my advice for people who would be a little bit more reluctant to go into the back country or open spaces is to Again, just be aware that you are sharing that space with wildlife. And um, one of the things that I'm really glad that I did was turn my head. And I couldn't have done that if I had earbuds in. So I think just to kind of fully appreciate the sights and sounds of nature, go without earbuds. And if you can, go with a buddy. That's something that I will uh, be doing going forward, going and doing some of my more long remote runs with a friend and also whenever mountain biking season comes around doing the same. See, that's like the number one thing like any park ranger will tell you is buddy system, buddy system. A hundred percent. I mean, that's what boy scouts teaches you too. Yeah. You always go with a buddy because if you do get in a jam, you've got help. Exactly. Hopefully. Yeah. And And the other thing too is running. I feel like, triggers the mountain lion you especially know I mean? a solo runner you right, know it's like right. oh there's my meal right there yeah i mean uh, a young mountain lion's not able to discern if that's a you know animal running that's potential prey or if it's a human right so i would imagine that him trail running also kind of contributed to the mountain lion attacking because it's like oh i'm going to chase after it, you know right it's kind of a natural instinct that they have yeah and mountain biking as well like i've, I've seen lots of videos of of bears and wild animals chasing after mountain bikers because it's i think it's kind of like it triggers that like prey um response that they have like, yeah oh i need to chase, chase that, that. Yep. Have you i seen mean it's it? like my dog when yeah. a rabbit goes by she just really has that yeah. natural impulse to go yeah chase ex- exactly it. it's it's that predator prey instinct yeah. there was a a clip i just saw of a snowboarder who was going down the side of this is like dropping down the side of a mountain and he was like had a GoPro or something filming himself and 
literally missed being attacked by a bear by like seconds. Like it didn't even know that the bear was behind him. The bear was kind of coming back behind him and he was completely oblivious that this bear was behind him and didn't even realize that the bear was there until after, you know, he got, oh. came down the, the mountain and then probably went home and played the footage. and was like, oh my God, I was like seconds away from oh man being attacked by this bear. If I can find it, I'll, I'll play it for you. But yeah, I was like, wow. But it was the snowboarding. As soon as he took off, the bear started charging after him. And luckily, you know, was able to get enough speed. I was like, oh, man, if he fell, toast. Done. Like, it's just crazy. It's, it's, it's definitely, you know, that's why they say don't run. Oh, you found it? Yeah. Yeah, here's that, here's that clip. This is, this is crazy. Had just having a good time out there. I was a girl too. No idea. Just having a nice day on the mountain. Oh, <laughs> she's like, here we go. Headphones on. He was even talking about that with it. Don't have earbuds. Yeah, in such a bad there. idea. The bear's literally charging. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> she falls. No, can hear the bear. Yeah, look how oh, close it no. is. If she falls at all, she's toast. It's probably good she didn't see it. Yeah, honestly, really? might have made you nervous and fall. Just staying but calm, yeah. just going. Thing chases her for a while, and then she finally gets down a nice steep bend oh, yeah. and takes off. But got the speed. No idea. No idea. Isn't that wild? I was like, God. So the main lesson here, don't wear earbuds in nature. Yeah, honestly. Like as much as you want to sometimes, like if anything, like bring a little speaker so that yeah. you're not like completely like noise canceled because right. you do need to be able to hear what's going on around you. Yeah. It could save your life. So, I mean, that's probably the best piece of advice. Don't run. Don't wear earbuds. Yeah. And don't go alone. Don't go alone. Go with a buddy. So the next few wild animal attacks on our list involve the national animal of India, the tiger. In the last decade or so, tiger population numbers in India have rebounded from successful conservation efforts. At one point, sadly, they were nearly extinct, but now their numbers are flourishing. And as their numbers increase, so do their territories. And when their habitats clash with the surrounding cities, things oftentimes get deadly. Now about 85 people a year are attacked by tigers, and most fatalities happen in India. India is home to 70% of the world's tigers and now has over 3,000, which is 200 more than it had four years ago. Since Project Tiger launched in 1973, India has created 52 reserves. That is a lot of reserves. Tigers are mostly solitary creatures, and a single tiger can take up to about 100 square miles of territory, depending on access to water, the amount of prey in the area, and other tigers. So 3,000 might not sound like, oh, that's a lot. But really, when you consider their territory... How much area they need, yeah. And, and since they're solitary creatures, that is a lot of area. They're blanketing they this area. Yeah. Wow. So... The conservationists have blamed the rapid expansion of human settlements around the forests, which, I mean, it does make sense because India is one of the fastest growing populations. They just surpassed China 
in, yeah. in population. I think it's the most populous country in the world. Yeah. Pretty sure. So it yeah. is now number one and it just keeps growing. So it's, it's kind of worrisome that they're trying to make all these reserves, but they're both encroaching on their territories, build right? In those areas, yeah. And then the critics of the tigers think that it's the reservations that are exceeding tiger capacity. So I think it's a bit of both. Population of humans is encroaching, but also there are now more tigers coming back. So they're all, it's kind of just a competing territory game out there. Bengal tigers, which are found all across India, are the largest cats in the world. They can weigh over 400 pounds and measure up to 10 feet long. They can go two weeks without eating, but they can consume 75 pounds of meat in one sitting. Oh my God. Yeah. So they're basically twice as big as a mature mountain lion. Right. They also have the longest canines of meat-eating mammals, three inches long. Little daggers, man. Yeah. They use these huge teeth to break their prey's vertebrae, similar to mountain lions, and they tear open their flesh while eating them. Their paws are also extremely powerful, and supposedly one tiger punch can crack the jaw of a full-grown cow. But here's the scariest thing about a tiger. They can run up to 40 miles an hour. They can jump 16 feet upwards. They can climb trees. And they can swim. So <laughs> there's no hope. You cannot hide from a tiger. You better hope you got a motorcycle yeah, to get away on because that's the only thing that's outrunning one of these tigers. Yeah. And we actually have a this crazy oh, yeah, video. I love this clip. This clip's nuts. Oh, shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> that is terrifying. This I tiger just like comes out of nowhere and just is sprinting at full speed and narrowly misses this yeah. motorcycle. And I wonder if it's that same thing we were talking about, kind of that yeah. triggers that predator. I think pred- it is. Predator instinct of like, this thing is going fast in my territory. I'm going to try to hunt it. Grab right? it, yeah. That's nuts, man. Luckily, it seemed like they were going fast enough. To yeah, I mean, they were going thing. fast too. That tiger yeah. must have been running like 45 miles an hour. I mean, yeah. they're, they're going somewhere between like 40, 50 miles an hour, it seems like. like that's crazy. Just barely miss that thing. And they had their phone out, so I wonder if it had been tracking them. And yeah, maybe they had seen it before and it finally made its made its move. Yeah. yeah, that's terrifying. But hundreds of people in India have died in recent years from tiger attacks. Just last year, the tiger known as the man-eater of Champaran killed at least nine people in six months. It took an operation of 200 people and a few elephant trackers to hunt down the man-eater. Since May 2022, this tiger had been killing people on the edges of the Valmiki Reserve for months. During one attack, the tiger snuck into someone's house and dragged a 12-year-old girl from her bed before eating her. Oh, that is just terrifying. A few days later, it killed a 35-year-old mother and her son. And because of strict conservation efforts, the hunting crew tried to tranquilize the tiger at first, but failed. So they later tracked it down and flushed it out of the nearby forest with a team of elephant-riding police. And when it tried to escape, a team of eight shooters pumped the tiger full of bullets until it finally was dead. The areas near the Rantambore National Park have had similar problems. With more than 80 tigers, it's one of the largest tiger reserves in India. And in April 2022, a 50-year-old farmer named Ram was heading home from work one evening. He was driving a motorcycle, much like you just saw in that clip. With two passengers when a Bengal tiger blindsided all three. 
It lunged from the thick forest at the edge of the road and threw him to the ground. Rom immediately blacked out, but when he came to, he was lying in a pool of his own blood. He could hear the motorcycle passengers screaming, but when he looked up at them, they only had minor injuries. They weren't screaming in pain. They were just screaming in horror because of what they just witnessed the tiger do to Rom. His face had been clawed several times and the tiger had torn his left arm completely off. And for whatever reason, the tiger didn't drag him off and eat him. Rom thought it was an act of God because most victims aren't as lucky as him. In February 2019, there was a 45-year-old woman named Jamuna from Kundera Village. Early in the morning, she had gone out to a field to relieve herself. This was common since toilets in rural India are scarce. While she was out in the field, she couldn't hear the silent tiger approaching from behind. That's what's so terrifying about tigers too is they're stealthy. Yep. They, they like sneak up on you. That is so scary to think about. In the morning when you first wake up, you're like, I gotta go relieve myself. So you just wander out into the woods. Haven't even had your coffee yeah, yet. Yeah, haven't you had it's your coffee. Just, you're like having your morning pee. It's your routine, yeah. And you're like having to think about, I could be mauled by a tiger at any point in time. Right. And for being so big, they're so quiet. Yeah. That's really scary. But this tiger pounced on top of her and dragged her 20 feet into the brush and ended up mauling her to death. And when they found her body was torn to pieces and devoured, her head was never recovered. But these recent tiger attacks don't even come close to the record set by the Champawat tiger back in the early 1900s. Her nickname came from the ancient Nepalese term meaning destroyer of man. And it's estimated that she racked up a kill count of 436 people in Nepal and northern India. Wow. Today, 85 people are injured or killed by tigers every year. But between 1800 and 1900, it's estimated that 10,000 people were killed by tigers across the country. The destroyer of man killing started during the last years of the 19th century. And by 1903, the Chimpawa tiger had developed a taste for human flesh. The local villagers soon became its main meal. And they were so terrified of the beast, they would only enter the dense jungle if they were in a large group or had weapons. But even then, the tiger knew how to stalk the groups and wait for someone to wander away or lag behind, and she would attack silently and drag her victims deeper into the jungle before devouring them. The problem got so bad, local governments in Nepal were hiring as many hunters as they could to try and kill the beast, but the tiger evaded them all, and her kill count reached an estimated 200 victims in Nepal. The Nepalese army was eventually called in, but even they couldn't capture or kill her either. They eventually tried a new tactic to push her out of the area. They formed a long line of men that marched through the jungle. And soon enough, the destroyer of man was no longer Nepal's problem. They couldn't kill her, so they pushed her all the way into India. That is nuts. Isn't that crazy? We can't hunt her, so we're just going to push her. Get Not our problem anymore. Go. Right. Different country entirely. So in the early 1900s, India already had so many man-eating animals that it attracted a lot of legendary hunters. A British hunter, Colonel Jim Corbett, was one of these hunters, and his specialty was killing man-eating tigers and leopards, and he loved hunting in colonial India. When the government caught wind of the tiger attacking Indian villagers, they asked him to take care of it. But he only agreed on two conditions. The first was that all government rewards for killing the tiger would be canceled, and the second was that all of their hunters employed by the government would be recalled. He claimed that since there was a high bounty on this particular tiger, and there was tons of hunters out there in the jungle, he was worried about being shot himself. He was also concerned about the other tigers being shot and killed instead of the true tiger that they were looking for. 
1907, the government agreed to Jim's terms and his hunt began. All he armed himself with was his hunting rifle and his impressive tracking skills before heading into the deep jungle. He had dealt with man-eating tigers before and he knew many of them only ate humans when they were put under large amounts of stress. Prey might have also been scarce wherever she was hunting. But if this was the only reason for her eating humans, she would have returned to eating animals again when she crossed into India. But for some reason, she continued hunting humans. Jim thought she might have suffered from some sort of injury so she couldn't hunt while prey anymore. So instead she focused her efforts on easier targets, human beings. He soon tracked the tiger to the village of Champawat. Here, the locals told Jim that they often heard loud tiger roars coming from the nearby jungle in the middle of the night, and nobody left their homes unless it was completely necessary. Some of the locals he spoke to had boarded up their windows and hadn't left their houses for almost a week straight. Even though safety measures were in place, the tiger struck again right after Jim arrived. During the night, the tiger entered the village and killed a 16-year-old village girl and dragged her body deep into the jungle. But luckily, this would be the tiger's last victim. As Jim was able to track the tiger's footprints and the victim's fresh blood into the jungle. And after a few hours of tracking, Jim found the tiger feasting on the victim's body. Jim quietly aimed his rifle at the tiger that was covered in blood, and he fired one shot directly into the head, which killed the animal instantly. When he inspected the body, he noticed the tiger's canines were broken. It had most likely suffered from dental disease, which had caused the teeth to break. But this confirmed his theory on why the tiger kept hunting humans. It had an injury that made it difficult to hunt regular prey. After his hunt was over, the destroyer of man was finally dead. Jim went on to hunt for more man-eating animals, but he eventually became a conservationist and helped found India's first national park, Haley National Park. But it was later renamed the Jim Corbett National Park after his death in 1955. And to this day, the people of India still struggle with their love-hate relationship with the tiger, it's the official animal of their country, and they basically saved the species from extinction. Over time, tigers have lost 95% of their habitat worldwide. But as their population numbers return, the tigers compete with human territory. And the more they compete, the deadlier they get. So, whew, that's tough. What do you do? You know, obviously, population grows and there needs to be more housing for people, but at the expense of their habitat. I mean, I feel like this is only going to continue. Right. And it's like, I don't think any other countries are really taking the charge on actually having natural reserves for tigers as much as India is. I mean, they take a lot of pride in that. So it's tough. And it's not like here in the U S you know, it's like tiger King where it's all the tigers we have here are just in captivity. They right. actually want them to be out in the wild where they're supposed to be. Right. But obviously it's coming at a cost. Yeah, it's just the, I guess it's just the price of sharing the planet with all these creatures, right? Right. Just got to learn how to live with them. I mean, we did it before, and it used to be worse before, right? There's way more people dying. I found it funny that Jim, he had those conditions for yeah. hunting the tiger, and it, his excuse, he's like, I don't want any other hunters out there. And he made the excuse that he's like, I don't want to risk being shot, and I don't want all these other tigers getting shot but in the back of my mind i was kind of like no i think you just wanted to be the only guy out there so that you would get the kill shot and get the credit for it oh yeah i'm sure that was probably at the forefront of his mind yeah. he's like you know maybe i'll get a national park named after me yeah, I just, you yeah know, exactly. i'm the kind of the the hero here <laughs> yeah it's interesting that they ended up you know it was a foreigner that ended up 
taking care of this man-eating tiger and that none of their hunters seem to be able to do it yeah it's very weird huh? well it was also during the time where it was like colonial india which oh, that's was like true. british was just they were just all over trying the place. to control everything yeah which which uh beast scares you the most danny and i were actually talking we got into a little bit of an argument because danny was like hippos could beat a polar bear and i hippos are terrifying i think we both agree that hippos are probably one of the animals that deadliest animal on the planet yeah and the thing is is that where it's like with bears it's like something's wrong with them or they feel threatened in their territory something there's kind of like a little bit of a logical reason but with hippos it just seems like they woke up on the wrong side of the bed and they just want to crush something with their jaws another creature that we've been taught is cute and yeah. friendly and you know that's nope. all kind of yeah. how we're we're programmed to think and it's just so funny that that's the farthest from reality is like the last thing you want to do is cross paths with a hippo right yeah, or a bear it's 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 less hungry hungry hippos and it's more <laughs> hungry hungry <laughs> hippos yeah. yeah yeah come through at the wrong time and yeah it's over yeah I honestly, I think. Yeah. What about you? What do I you think, think bears? I, I think bears yeah. are just like the more I've learned about bears, the more I'm just like these. These things are terrifying, man. Like, there's nothing cute about them. Yeah. The fact that teddy bears is even a thing, which you were talking about that earlier, Daniel. Like the story behind teddy bears. Like, yeah. So the story about how teddy bears kind of became an American thing is pretty interesting. Um, it actually stems back to Teddy Roosevelt, and as you guys probably know, he was a really teddy, famous hunter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was going on a, a bear hunting trip in uh, Mississippi and I think 1902 and he was having trouble finding a bear to, to hunt. Like he, he was just having trouble. So a couple of the guys that he was with actually ended up cornering and tying down a black bear mm. and in, were encouraging him to shoot it and saying like, Hey, you know, here's a bear. It's right there. Just kill it. <laughs> uh, but Teddy refused. And this story kind of got, it, it traveled, you know, it got in the newspapers and then there was a comic artist who actually drew a comic about it and I'll show it up on screen. And a political cartoonist named Clifford Berryman uh, was the person who actually made the comic. And eventually, Morris Mictum, uh, who was a Brooklyn candy shop owner, saw the comic. Uh, and as a candy shop owner, he also made stuffed animals. So him and his wife decided to make a bear to kind of play off that comic. And they called it Teddy's Bear. And from there, there it became a teddy bear. Wow. Yeah. I wonder how much money they ended up making on oh, probably that so teddy much. bear. Yeah. yeah. That's I mean, crazy though, because every kid I think has a teddy bear at some point. Yeah, right. Some type of Everyone stuffed bear. Grows up with yeah. I had one. Like, yeah. yeah, that's that's crazy though. Teddy Roosevelt then must have been hunting around the same time Jim Corbett was hunting, it's like early 1900s. But it's funny. I just realized like they both were avid hunters, but then later in their lives they moved to conservationists. They were both like, we need to actually well, protect I mean, these lands. I mean, you. Hunters are conservationists, like the ones that do it for true, you know, the right reasons. Like, obviously, people have certain feelings about trophy hunters that just kill for the the fact that it's like cool to have killed this animal and have their head. Like that one dentist who they lured the lion, like right, yeah, where they're like just trying to kill specific animals because it's cool or you know it carries some fame and notoriety with it. But like hunting is part of conservation. Like obviously you got to control population of animals in areas and otherwise it gets out of hand and it can either get dangerous or obviously with prey animals, you know, if there's an overpopulation of it, it affects the whole food chain. So exactly. So yeah, I, I I mean, hunters are conservationists. So Michigan, we have a 
ton of deer and if they right. we don't have those hunting i mean we they keep encroaching into like metro detroit like they're they're pushing in further and further so yeah that's and and it's so sustainable too right yeah if yeah. you want like sustainable meat the venison there from michigan it's like i you know if you're just an ethical eater of meat you know that's a great it's way like to some get of the it. freshest meat you can get right yeah. yeah i mean i love fresh game fresh game's always some of my favorite meat yeah it's, you know you got to control the the numbers out there and you know there's a way to do it ethically and sustainably so that you know nature can continue doing its thing but you can control the populations of of all the creatures i mean even bears and and those apex predators you got to control their numbers as well because right. they get out of hand i mean you see what's happening in india but also just like then it wipes out all the the deer and you know what i mean then you have this this balance is broken and can cause a lot of issues when it comes to um you know just sort of the the food chain out there in the wild but yeah really really interesting episode really enjoyed this one hopefully you did too let us know which animal that we cover today you would most likely be i mean all of them are terrifying but <laughs> but which one would you you know if you had to get attacked by one which one would you take i'd take the polar bear just get it over with just let's <laughs> just make it quick fast. Yeah. end it fast like i don't want something that's going to play around with me or like you know any of the cats sound like it's a very painful death because they just start eating you or start ripping you to pieces true the polar bear is so big and strong i feel like just let it crush you just lay there and let it just yeah take you out maybe a shark great white just coming in and yeah well it's sometimes i mean yeah sometimes they they do it cleanly other times they tear your arm off and tear you limb by limb true until yeah. you're you're dead maybe but, i take that one back though. yeah <laughs> maybe it's just a black widow i'd take just and just then a spider bite I'm gone yeah. <laughs> yeah or like a black mamba or something yeah. a, a oh, snake yeah. bite or something yeah, yeah. But yeah, that is it for us today. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lights Out. We'll catch you next week with another dark one. And until then, lights out, everybody.